her and Tony had talked like extensively about how she was going to approach mentoring me through our collaboration. And I just remember thinking like, what? Hey, the CZ Podcast is brought to you by us, CZ Studio, the number one dance app on the App Store and Google Play Store with over 1 million downloads. We provide curated online dance classes taught by the world's best instructors. Why did we create Steezy? To help you reach your dance goals one step at a time. Whether that goal is to perform with the biggest and best musical artists in the world or just be the life of the party at your cousin's wedding. I'm your host, Clay Boonsnocket. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Steezy Podcast. Today we have Ian Eastwood joining us here. And we also have uh, Josh Jang. He's one of our producers. He is the producer for this show. And he's going to chime in every once in a while. But uh, I'm Clay. If you don't know who I am, which you probably don't, I am a dancer. I've been dancing for probably around like 14, 15 years. I'm the director of video at Steezy. Been a part of cruise, some commercials, music videos and such. But I just really love talking about dance. I think I like talking about dance more than I like dancing. And that's a pretty strong and honest statement. I think that's yeah. exactly how I feel, which is why I'm glad I'm here at Steezy. I feel the same. Yeah? Yeah. And that's why I'm glad I get to talk to you, Ian, because yeah. Ian loves talking. <laughs> and I love talking to people who love talking. Can you confirm, Leslie? I can confirm. She's she laughing. can confirm. She's dying. <laughs> oh, so, so true. Ian Eastwood. Dance and choreographer, people like Childish Gambino, Justin Bieber, Tori Kelly, J-Lo, Taman, Zendaya, 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 EXO, bunch of other artists. You were in, what, Cub Scouts, Most Wanted, <laughs> Young yes. Lions, Cup Monsters, yes. right? Monsters of Hip Hop. Yeah. Hey, wow. Ian, Ian does a lot. He's, I love dance, bro. He, he loves dance. He loves dance. Yeah. So I have a, a big first question. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Eggs Benedict? Oh, bro, come on. You've been doing the deep dive. You've been nardwaring, bro. We should, you should use that. That's a verb. Nardwaring, bro. Nardwaring? I think oh. Merriam Webster's going to add yeah, it in this year. Bro, yeah, bro. I mean, it's going to go in. New words. Eggs B. Okay. Um, Eggs B. You got a nickname for it. Yeah, that's what we call them okay. in, the, in the Eastwood family. Okay. Okay. Uh, Eggs Benedict. Yeah, I think. Definitely scooped that from my parents. We they were just always getting it anywhere, anytime we would have like a fancy mm. like breakfast somewhere. Do you, you know, because is it just with like is it the egg and the the muffin? Or do you have ham? Do you, bro? Let me tell you, eggs Benedict has become really advanced over the last decade. <laughs> yeah. It went from being like just something you get at a fancy brunch spot yeah. to like it's on every corner now. Yeah. People got pesto bottoms, they got prosciutto mm-hmm. bottoms. Like, come yeah. on, bro, it's all it's all different. It doesn't matter where you go. Now they're doing a different spin on it. What it's do like you the like? hot dog. My fave is definitely going to be um, English muffin prosciutto. I would opt out for maybe a pesto in there. Instead of hollandaise? Yeah, the hollandaise. People can like, the restaurants, they don't always hit the hollandaise on the nose. Sometimes they're making pre-made hollandaise. And you're like, bro, Uh -uh. I'm spending $20 for pre-made. Yeah. And I actually started making my own homemade hollandaise really? during the pandemic. I mean, people were doing all types of stuff during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. And that was one of the and things decided, I chose to do. Hollandaise is, is what I'm going to focus on right now. I love that. So I made homemade hollandaise. Yeah. And it's a big difference. And it's way mm. easier to, or it's not that much easier to make, but it's like way easier than you'd expect. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like really good. It's got a little lemon, a little zest to mm-hmm. it. It's, it's really good. I, I recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going with homemade hollandaise sauce. Homemade if hollandaise. That's, but you never know Yeah, when they're writing it on there. Yeah, I agree. It's almost like nowadays there's so many different varieties that if they're hitting you with the traditional, you're like, oh, you guys aren't up to date. Mm. <laughs> I love these strong feelings <laughs> you know? about hollandaise. Like if they don't have four options of Benedict <laughs> Dude, on that's there. that's true. I agree. I'm it's like, like, do I trust your Benedict? Nah, yeah. You got to have some smoked <laughs> salmon somewhere in there just yeah. so I can know it's there. I'm not going to order like, it. I got to know you guys are... <laughs> Really trying to... I agree. You know? It's I like agree. when you go to a coffee shop that doesn't have oat milk. You're like, I don't know, Dude, you guys. I know. You know, like when you go to China um, <laughs> and you try to order, like, you go to Starbucks, mm-hmm. you can't just order soy milk mm. because soy milk is just a drink in China. Wow. Right? That's like me like, asking, can I get, like, fruit punch with that? Like, it's it's like you drink doujiang, like, like I don't think it's, yeah, you, you drink 
soy milk. Wow. So it's like to add that in, I it's just that. wrong. Yeah, yeah, And so yeah, I remember yeah, being yeah. there and I was like, man, am I just going to engage with my lactose intolerance <laughs> like, on this you know trip? What? Teach I'll a class while like bubble gutting right now? <laughs> I'll like, just take one for the team. Yeah, bro. I don't want to look like an idiot. Yeah. And be like... <laughs> Soy milk, please. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. So hopefully that satisfied your eggs, Benedict, question. Yeah, that was yeah. necessary. <laughs> Dang, very, bro. very good. I love that. Actually, like, so do you like diners and stuff? Uh, So I got, like, a special place in my heart for diners because of all the Young Lions tours I do with my parents. Oh. So we were, like, low-key. We, we were basically a lot of times scratching or sometimes maybe not even making full profit. Oh. We, we were going to start loving yeah, out the choreo. Next crazy. account was going to get nuts. Account. <laughs> yeah, our first collab. <laughs> car alarm horn. Yeah, car alarm. Oh, man. Um, so you went to cafes on, on yeah, Young Lions Yeah, because basically um, it would just like, it was not glamorous the way that we were doing it. Mm -hmm. Like it was like me and my parents would stay in an embassy suites hotel and mm -hmm. it'd be like, I because we never had enough time to do anything, yeah. I'd just find whatever local diner like is in the area yeah. and then kind of feed everybody for the day and then we hit the road next mm. city. So I have like a special place in my heart for just either local diners or, you know, sometimes sometimes you got to Denny's it out. Yeah. You, know, you, you collect America, bro. You collect mugs, right? Yeah. Bro, how do you know this? <laughs> how do you know this? You just look in my cabinet. <laughs> like that's crazy, bro. Yeah. Why, I like Why do you do that? I, well, basically uh, I started traveling just so much and I would try and get something from everywhere. Mm. And uh, it was, I would always like kind of look at like when people get really touristy stuff, like, oh, that's just a touristy thing. But mm -hmm. then after a while, I was like, bro, I can't get unique items. That's true. I just can't. Like, I just don't have enough, you know? And so I was like, what are the things I can get everywhere? And so it's like most of the time I'm trying to get to a coffee shop that's yeah. unique to that place. So I'll get a mug there. And then obviously, you know, we're hitting the regular magnet, pin, mm. you know, we're hitting. Dang. Yeah, my wife is like, we have so many mugs. <laughs> like, girl, you have one mouth. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like we have a wall of hanging yeah. mugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, it's cool. Like in the morning, I'm like, Wow, I never thought I had mugs for my vibe. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm just like, mm, guess it's the Rise and Shine mug today. <laughs> yes. Or yes. the London Starbucks one. Yo. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yo, that's exactly it, bro. Well, I also started buying them with the complete thought that I will have a coffee shop and I will decorate the coffee shop with mugs from all over the world. You're going to have a coffee shop? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> per my idea. Yeah, that's that's the that's the goal. That, that's where I Somewhere. started. I was like, you know what? This would be really cool 20 years from now. <laughs> I also save all my hotel keys <gasps> since ever and all my boarding passes since forever. A lot of them asked for that back, I thought. And yes, I, just I ignore that part. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think I've ever returned. You heard it here key. first. <laughs> hotels. 911. If, if there's about 300 hotels looking for their <laughs> keys, I got them. Got it. Going back upwards of 10 years. Oh, my That'd God. That'd be whack. They haven't been able to rent out that yeah. room. He's like, you don't have any of the keys. That one kid. That yo, one kid. Oh. Yo. No, seriously, I have like this clear box. And just since I was 16, I've always kept my room keys. Wow. So I just have probably like 300, 400 room keys. Wow. Yeah. Same with flights. It's like, it's I just... like the flights thing. At least it gives me more information on yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see. No, but some of the keys are interesting because it's like when you got different like <laughs> languages. About these keys. You got different languages. <laughs> got it? You got, you know? Yeah. Sometimes like a nice hotel is going to have a really great, well-designed key. You're mm. like, wow. This is like... Next time you come into the office, I expect to see a favorite mug. <laughs> And a favorite key, okay? Bro, when I used to stay at the Wynn, they, I was telling Leslie the last time we went there, I was pulling, I was like, babe, this one, this, this hotel key, they put your name, they print your name Ooh, on it. Ooh, that's nice. That's nice, right? That's nice. Pull up there, don't do it anymore. So I'm like, see, I remember that's back when y'all used to print. 
I got have it. a key that win. Now, now it's the lose. I mean, yeah. if, if your name's on it, they're just asking you to take it that's, home at that point. That's exactly true. right. It belongs but, to but you. But that's like Chipotle. Like yeah. Chipotle prints uh, Chipotle on their napkins because they know you steal it. Right. And so now they have a billboard in front of your face. It's a flyer every time you wipe your mouth. Wow. Genius. So anyways, dance. Yeah, dance. <laughs> Actually, Ian, you did mention you went on Young Lions tours. Yeah, yeah. Can you give our listeners a basis of the heck Young Lions is. Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, <clears throat> let's see, 2008 or nine, I would say, um, I was starting to basically get my name up locally via like community dance teams, which are not as much of a thing now. Yeah. But obviously were a big part of our time coming up. Um, and uh, there was a dance team called dance success and uh i did a i basically did a community class there which would be when there would be a local crew Mm -hmm. and there would be um people that are peripheral in the dance community they're trying to audition to get i don't know if you had anything like this locally for you but it'd be like basically the community class was the people that weren't quite ready to be on the team yet sure yes um and so it was a way for them to interact and kind of get in on the scene yeah and maybe be either a novice dancer or an up-and-coming dancer or whatever this was in chicago in chicago yeah and so i taught this local community class and um basically one time i had this crazy turnout because i was getting my name up locally i did the monster show Mm -hmm. and i was building my profile and uh and at the end of class, <clears throat> because it was all the way everything was set up for the community and everything, uh, I think it only paid back like 10 bucks, but I had packed out the class. Interesting. And I was like, yo, what? Like, I, like the, the rate to get into class was $15, and I brought all these extra heads outside okay. of what our crew was normally bringing in. Yeah. And so I was pretty pissed. And I was like, but I kept it inside. I kept it pro and I was pretty pissed. And I I went to my parents afterwards and my mom had, of course, you know, being Italian, being just like on the ball Mm -hmm. and just like, you know, entrepreneur. She was like, so how to go Ian?" Because I didn't work out any of the details beforehand. Very typical kid move. How old were you? I was 15. 15. Got I was like, yo, I couldn't couldn't even make enough to pay for my own class. And I was going off. And my mom was like, well, why don't you do your own, basically? And so the next uh, month or two, I did my own very first young, my first solo workshop in Chicago. And I was 16. And that was unheard of at the time. Like, just to even have your own workshop without being affiliated to a crew was absolutely unheard of. Like Mm. no one was doing solo workshops in the whole city. Mm. The maximum thing that would happen, the biggest workshops we would have is if um, basically Patrick, super smart, Patrick would piggyback off of national tours. So let's say JT comes in town, he would do a JT workshop with Dance to Excess and be Marty Kadelka, Eddie Morales... Wow, you know, yeah. um, Sky, like all these incredible dancers. Yeah. And basically he would be able to do, in theory, a mini monsters at no cost for travel or hotel accommodations. Yeah. So that kind of changed the game. And we had like a almost like basis to form our workshop ideas mm-hmm. off of. So we did one with just me just to see if anybody would show up at all. And I had like 20, 30 students. And it was like a big deal. Like for me, yeah. I'm like 16 years old. Yeah, that's And huge. like it was Thanksgiving weekend, which in Chicago is like, bro, no one's dancing. Like it's Chicago, bro. Wow. So it's like family time. Like no one's dancing. And it's very rare that there's more than maybe 20, maybe 10 people that even want to do dance professionally ever. Yeah. That are dancing in Chicago, you know? Yeah. So it's like, um, it was a big deal. And then basically my parents were like, hey, you know, you're so into all of these other up and coming choreographers at Monsters, which was the like halfway generation between me and like Marty Kadelka. Like, let's say as far as commercial choreo, you like put a Marty or like a Brian Freeman or a Gill as like generation like one. Yeah. Then like 
Generation two would be like Nick DeMora, Tucker Barkley, mm-hmm. um, Sean Bankhead, Jaquel Knight. Mm-hmm. Those were all the students at Monsters mm-hmm. at the time that I'm also training and I'm in the kid room. So I'm going into the advanced rooms and looking up to these dancers on the floor, which is absolutely mind boggling. Wow. Like I'm training next to the next generation's like professional choreographers on the floor mm-hmm. dancing at the same time, mm-hmm. which is nuts. But me being me and being a nerd, I was just like, I started finding them on YouTube and just like putting in the extracurricular time. Mm-hmm. And then Boogie Zone was popping up at the same time. So a lot of these guys are getting their first opportunities via Boogie Zone mm-hmm. and not because they're still having to be dancers. Tucker Barkley, all these guys are still having to be dancers not and do the traditional L.A. They all wanted to be choreographers, yeah. but the it's so early in YouTube, that whole, like, you can have a career path as a choreographer that gets their choreography out via YouTube mm-hmm. was non-existent yet. Yeah. At least not as a regular, like, dependable resource. No, of course not. You know? Yeah. So, my parents discovered this niche idea of, like, hey, you know, our community is doing these things like what Patrick Chen was doing. And then there's monsters and stuff happening. But what about all these people in between Mm. that are like not quite on the scale of a Marty or a Dave Scott or a Nappy Tabs, but you're a big fan of them, which also means likely that a lot of your peers locally are also big fans of them. So you kind of get to be a curator. Exactly. But there's no way for us to access them unless we go take the class in LA. Mm. So basically my parents being, you know, schmoozers and just like loving hosting people and being artists and just being like having faith that people have value in our personal family experience. Wow. They were like, maybe what you can do is hit up these choreographers that have a vested interest in you that just are watching your talent and maybe they'll be kind enough to come to Chicago Mm stay with us so we can cut the cost. Love that. My dad will cook all the food. And then um, it can even give you the opportunity to collaborate with them. That is, that is so, so, that's a pioneering mindset. No one had, had done that before. Bro, yeah. 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 I mean, and it really served me up, like, basically for those four years um, in between... I want to do this professionally. I'm starting to do this professionally, but I don't live in LA yet. It's such a cool factor of like how you're able to associate your name with these people, train with them crazy, and get propelled at the same time. It's like, man, you're just hitting 20 birds, one stone. It was crazy. I mean, cause like, I remember when Jillian Myers, for example, came and Jillian told me, that on her first like because we'd bring them in on the friday and then we my parents would make like a meal and then we'd choreograph in my basement friday night vibes and then we'd all chill saturday and then whatever friends i had in the community would also sleep over at the house Mm -hmm. so like ade and cj and them they would all stay we'd have a big sleepover and then so we kind of get maximum time with the choreographer so fun. And I remember Jillian was telling me when she landed <clears throat> that her and Tony had talked like extensively about how she was going to approach mentoring me through our collaboration. And I just remember thinking like, what? Like these choreographers are sitting, taking time to talk about this process outside of like them physically being here. And I was just, and I really looked up to Tony at the time. So yeah. I was just like, Dude, that's like, so bro. Cool. you know and then jillian like was not playing like yeah. she, like she made me sit down and like we talked about what our piece is going to be about thematically for like an hour and a half before we started yeah so it was just so cool because all the people that i was like idolizing i was within probably two to six months of me learning about them or whatever i'm getting a chance to work with, with them directly and then see how they choreograph yeah and then see what i do and don't like about how they choreograph okay i want to hone into that then because yeah. that is an opportunity that nobody gets yeah <laughs> totally totally yeah so what are some of the things that during that time just 
blew your mind about processes of chore- mm. choreographing? What was something that maybe you had a misconception about and you're like, oh, that's actually simpler than I thought? Oh, that's a good question. Let me think about some of the people that I choreographed with. Something cool was like Nick DeMora. I idolized him so much. He was the first person we brought to Young Lions. Okay. I was like in a phase of specifically trying to clone myself to oh, look like uh, Nick. Who is Nick DeMora, first of all? Oh, yeah. Nick DeMora. Um, my mentor. Um, also creative director, choreographer for Bieber for since last three, four tours, maybe something like that. Um, he's basically been Bieber's right-hand guy for everything in all things creative. Um, but then Nick has an extensive career outside sure. of yeah. that. I mean, he was, uh, you know, getting crazy regular work as a dancer already on films, mm-hmm. uh, music videos, all of that before Bieber. And then since that time, he's also career directed several other tours that I can't even think off the top of my head. Man's prolific. Um, but yeah, Nick Demore is one of those guys. Got it. And he's basically probably first choreographer that specifically believed in me to be a choreographer standing next to him as a peer. Yeah. That's so a big thing. It's a cosign. Uh, huge. Yeah. My first, Nick is responsible for um, getting me to be able to teach at Millennium for the first time in a, wow. in a collab class. Wow. Jaquel Knight was in this class. Laura Edwards was in this Sheesh. class. Tucker Barkley's in this class. Like, that's how it used to be back then. It was such a big deal. Still, like, regular weekday classes were some of the most important dancers in the industry were just still coming, like, to several classes a night. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just a crazy time. Dang. Um, so, yeah. I don't remember where I was going yeah, with that. Uh, sorry, I cut you off. Where, where no. did you, uh, what did you learn from working with Nick? Well, Nick was so interesting because I didn't expect it to be so seamless from the way I choreograph. Like, <laughs> because I was, I probably was picking up so many subtle um, stylizations that mm-hmm. was particular to him mm-hmm. at that period of time that it was so seamless and so fast. It was like working by myself times two, you know? Yeah. And so that was really cool because I never expected to have that spark with somebody so early on in creating. But then it was cool to work with someone like Jillian where I just explained like, we didn't even touch choreography dancing for the first hour and a half. Mm. And it was like picking songs, picking sections of a song that we like. And then it's like, what is the story that we're going to have for this piece outside of what's in the song contextually? That's what she asked you. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm just I was trying like, to vibe. What is happening? <laughs> like, I love that. What is going on? Like, you it's know what I'm so saying? It's so different, like, huh? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And then it was like, probably like a Tony Czar would have been like, we're freestyling in real time and then stacking as it goes and then maybe somebody like David Moore might have been more specific on sections mm. you know of like mm. oh and then we need a part that's like simple here but then we do a little detail here wow. and just seeing how different everybody's like and even me my choreography process has probably changed specifically at least three separate times over the course of the years of how I approach choreography it's so interesting because many people reach these points of friction with yeah. themselves or even when collaborating with others because yeah. you don't know how you're supposed to choreograph. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people don't know even how they choreograph for a very long time until yeah. you've been through these sort of experiences. Yeah. Like, man, it's crazy to be thrown into the, the pit and just... And also because it was an odd position because we were essentially peers, but not really. Yeah. Not I mean, like you're in, in the same head, house, like, eating the same meals. In my head, I'm like, bro, I watched, I've been watching you wow. before. Whoever it is, like Erica Sobel, oh my God. I got to like, did a whole contemporary collab with her. Like, you know, so it was just like, I was still in student mode, even though I was creating. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was such an interesting process. And then that happened. And then that's unfolding in front of the dance community the next day. So I'd have my material that's like super specific and prepped. And I'd always be the warm-up class. And then they'd go. And then we'd teach our collab. Mm. And so it was always just so crazy to have that then affect like the community too. 
because my style was like rapidly changing during that time, mm. you know. And you were uniquely a person that was unifying a community. Yeah. And these people could actually be there in town because of yeah. the Young Lions initiatives. Well, because also there was like basically Young Lions came right at the end of Dance to Excess, mm-hmm. um, kind of like pittering out. So there was no training in Chicago after that, except for Monsters. There was no training, no choreography workshops were happening unless it was local teams, Mm -hmm. which if you're ever in any dance community locally, you know, there's beef, even unspoken beef between every crew and no crew supports each other. And every crew is like, I can't go to that workshop. Like, it's so stupid. (laughs) Um, So that was going on, Mm -hmm. you know, where everybody would have their individual things, but that didn't really help the community build yeah so i was and i was also unique in the sense that i was a fan of all different types of dance where i could be really into a collegiate team choreographer or i could be into a up-and-coming industry choreographer like a nick or a tucker Mm -hmm. and then those would all be happening at young lions workshops where in chicago you're very likely this type of dancer or this type of dancer even within choreo Mm -hmm. which is really gets really like minute on it yeah that's so interesting. So it was a unique place. Like people like Magnette and Domino, they were starting 16 mm-hmm. when we were already like two or three years into Young Lions. So their first experiences in Chicago dance community was already a semi uni- like unified, yeah. in a sense, mm-hmm. in a sense, um, version of our community. Wow. Man. Young Lions. Yeah. It's it's really interesting because it's so easy to take it at face value or it's just surface level because we see it's a crew. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. true. That's, they were pants with tails. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's <laughs> Young Lions, right? Bro. It's really cool to see yeah. that it's it's um, how deep it really goes. And, yeah. Um, also, it's cool because it is an initiative, an organization that's a family, not just family-oriented. It is it is fa- your family. Literally. And... It was a very innovative way to cultivate your growth, which I think is like a really interesting way to develop yourself as an artist in any way, but as a dancer to like create your own space and other people end up thriving off of where you thrive. Yeah. That's cool. Well, because you're bringing, you're bringing special attention to it by creating the space. Mm. Like, um something that was really unique about what we did is that there was no forum for like, especially in the time where me and Brian were spending a lot of time together Mm -hmm. and it was kind of like peak, like popularity of individualized dance videos. Mm -hmm. There was no platform to showcase us in a um, accessible way to the public. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have shows. We didn't have meet and greets. The only way that people could connect with us in person was coming to a workshop. Yeah. So for us, outside of World of Dance, which also doesn't really get going till a few years later, like full swing, not yeah. till a few years later, you know. Um, basically, what's so cool about Young Lions is my dad, you know, I would be teaching at these conventions and my dad... Uh, selling stuff at the booth would, or my mom would get in contact with local studio owners in a city mm-hmm. or whatever. And we would quite literally just string these mini regional tours together mm-hmm. out of my dad's now, instead of like two people near the East coast. Now mm-hmm. my dad, Oh, a random studio in Pittsburgh actually said they would love to have us and they have a little community. And then a random studio over here in Boston said, um, maybe they'd like to have me for a class or host a workshop mm. for uh, for us. And so it was really cool because communities that quite literally never got any um, workshops in commercial choreography style outside of a Monsters or a dance convention, we're going there and having some of maybe the only workshops they've ever had, even still today. Mm. Like we went to Detroit three or four times and I don't think I've ever seen a flyer for any of my peers mm-hmm. going to teach a workshop in Detroit. Yeah. But Young Lions has gone there like three or four times. Damn. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's cool because we got to touch different aspects of the community. And then I got to see, oh, these people are, every community is the same. It's like, 
there's someone local who's doing their thing, yeah. you know, and then you get to meet them and then they get to, then what starts to happen is, oh, all the Detroit crew that we met, now they're driving to the mm. Chicago one. And so then people that weren't getting that much dance education at a high level were creating almost like a little run for them. Like yeah. Julian would, um, we gave Julian, for example, Julian uh, de Guzman. De Guzman. We gave Julian de Guzman, for example, a lifetime Young Lion scholarship. Oh, whoa! Early on, when he's maybe like twelve or thirteen. So his dad was looking at that like, so anytime Ian's teaching anywhere, we could just pop in a flight, or if it's close enough driving distance, we'll just fill up a car. Oh, that's so cool. And Julian and all his friends will be with Ian mm. all weekend in two, three different cities. And of course, because they're getting really good, they're also shining too. I'm having them come out. These are Young Lions, Lifetime. Yeah. You know, so it was like really like yeah. building quite a bit without too much. A lot of the community things that offer fr- are something free demand a lot from you. Like if you were in a crew, it was easy for me because I was a kid in high school and didn't have anything better to do. And I was like, this is my life. Mm-hmm. But I, now that I'm an adult, I look at it like, damn, like some of these dudes that were in school that are like becoming doctors are using their Friday night and their Sunday morning to come to a dance practice yeah. for like community shows twice a year. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they're giving up their pretty much personal life for a not like dance career, but like just dance experience. That's what's so cool about yeah. it. Like there's so many access points yeah. into dance and there's so many reasons for why you can dance like we were just talking before this we started filming we were saying yeah. like you know that's the whole point of this podcast is yeah. to hear everyone's interesting journey with dance because you don't need to be a pro you don't need to go on tour but you absolutely can exactly but dance it can live in any facet of your life whether it's exactly. your five minutes in a day 30 minutes or your touring with the biggest artists 100 that's why having the dance studio really changed my life because mm. um in my garage because once i opened that to the public and people could book their own time it changed how my dance experience for the first 15 years of me dancing or i guess longer 19 years of me dancing Dang. was based upon me dancing physically and whatever I do with my body in my presence. Mm. And that's what I'm offering dance, mm. what I'm contributing to dance in theory. Mm-hmm. But for the first time ever, I had worked to make a space that I don't have to physically invest anything in real time with somebody for them to have a unique experience with dance. They can spend their own money for $20 and have an entry point where they don't have to spend $30 to come to a masterclass to be super intimidated. Like they can just go to my garage and just do their thing Mm. for an hour. And maybe that's just all they want to do, you know? And so I want to create more experiences in dance that are all different types of experiences, paid for, non-paid for. I can just see someone go in there and just enjoying themselves. I had like this really long day recently and I sat down outside and I was like, you know, taking a pit stop and I was just like, all right, it's that part of the day where you're like, all right, do I keep doing all of the work Hmm. or is it over right now? Hmm. You know, I was like kind of just sitting there, sun setting and I just saw this woman in the studio and she just got time by herself and uh the light was like having the shafts going through because i have the glass garage doors the shafts of light were going through and she was just freestyling in a like there was no there was no front to where she was freestyling she wasn't dancing at the mirror she was dancing all around the studio she just had her eyes closed and then she just found herself like dancing and like finding the light, the mm. shafts of light in the garage. And she was just like so at peace. I was just watching her. I was like, my day's over. <laughs> I was like, this is great. I was like, this is great. Just experiencing it so far. Done. Funny. Yeah. My work for today is done. Wow. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to taint my day with <laughs> anything else other than just being like, 
that's awesome mm. you know because sometimes like with all the professionalism and pressure of like social media and content and blah 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 blah, blah it's just like what am i dancing about you know what are you dancing about nowadays another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That's good, bro. That's a good question. I used to find myself dancing for like individual purposes so much and to to tell a specific story. And I would be so focused on how to tell my unique story via an already finished piece of art of Hmm. someone else because it's a finished record. And I'm trying to like match my life to some lyrics of a song that I relate to. Yeah. And I just started to feel so pigeonholed by that process. Wow. Because I was just like, I'm basically being an actor that's saying, unless I've experienced what this character is going through personally, I'm not going to take the role. Hmm. That's really narrowing of what you can accomplish. Sure. So then I started to really just look for any record that is really unique sounding that I, when I listen to it, it's like... Um, what is it called? Like an earworm? Yeah. You know, when just something gets in your head and I'm just kind of really intrigued Mm. by, um, by the overall sound Mm -hmm. and can't quite pin it. Like what genre is it? So you want to explore that then? Yeah. I like finding a record that I go, I don't know how I'd choreograph to this. Interesting. Because just catching the initial vibe and being like, yeah, this is the one. Exactly. Because my theory on it is like, I've choreographed so much Mm -hmm. that like, it's always going to look like my choreo. Mm. Right. So the edge on it is to be like, if I pick a song that no one would suspect me to pick, maybe it'll turn out looking unique. Yeah. And I can untap. Like, I can tap into some things that I wouldn't assume for me to approach. Yeah, it's a really cool way to sort of lay out an environment that has not been explored yet and allowing yourself to thrive in that environment. Because it doesn't seem like it's a, it's a, oh, I'm making myself uncomfortable, which is a good way to grow. Exactly. Because it seems that you really do find joy in a space of uncertainty. Yeah, it's basically like, um, it's so crazy because I talked to Lizzie about this mm. and my dad about this really deep. And I found myself, I just had the biggest smile when I was talking to my dad about this because my dad's an artist. Mm-hmm. He's a jazz musician before? He is a he is a jazz musician. Um, he plays trumpet, trum, trombone, and Sheesh. euphonium. But... He's also a, a traditional artist, so he's a uh, pen to paper. Um, he does uh, pen and inks and oil mm-hmm. um, portraits. Got it. So my parents always took me to art museums very obviously from the moment I was born. Sure. So I just was very used to going into art museums and just sitting there and listen my parents go on and on and on. Oh, and this artist and their technique and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I'm a kid. I'm like, I don't, I don't care know, about bro. Rembrandt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's really funny because basically my parents would always take me to the Monet room mm-hmm. and they have a bunch of amazing Monet paintings in the Art Institute of Chicago. And, uh, and my parents would always just go on and on about how the impressionists do exactly that. They capture an impression and express it like fluidly Mm. via their painting. Mm. Right. So my parents would just admire the way that someone like a Monet, if you stand close to it, it just looks like kind of like nothing and just Mm -hmm. like a bunch of colors that shouldn't go where you think they are. And then as you step back further and further, all of a sudden it looks like this photo that's coming into focus, but they're creating that 
physically. Yeah. It's totally different to see that as a photo and you're like, oh, the lens has this out of focus and that's in focus. But that means that someone's looking at something and taking the impression of what it feels like to mm. look at something and then doing their own version of a recording of it, mm. you know? So they like to see how Monet would capture light, my parents would just be like enamored with that yeah. because it felt so authentic and expressive on this thing that's cold on mm. a on a canvas. And so I never got it. I never got it like until maybe two, three years ago because I'd always fight my parents because I'd be like, I don't get it. How come this one that just looks like the painting isn't way cooler? Like yeah. they got to be on point. That yeah. looks like a painting. Like this dude, this is like, did this like a thousand years ago and it looks like a photograph. Like you guys don't think that's cool? Yeah. And they're like, no, nah, it's cool. But like they gave me the whole like artist. Sure. You know, it's cool. But yeah. I'm like, okay, like, I don't know. That one looks better to me. And it's how I realize I have come to feel about dance, hmm. which is, of course, making detailed pictures and shapes in a way that I think I was in my earlier choreography. Hmm. A lot of the storytelling driven pieces of choreography, narrative driven choreography. I think it was really cool to have all those explicit details to illustrate ideas and concepts, but really it was pulling out exactly what's already written down in the record. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, how can I illustrate the ideas that are being talked about in this record? What was my approach before? And now I would say I've gone on to become more like an impressionist within my commercial choreography in the sense that I'm making broader strokes up close so that when you come out, it looks like one full picture as opposed to all these tiny moments that are like how it used to be where people would be commenting on YouTube. Oh, at 105. Yeah. He took the heart and threw it up in the air and shot it and it came down and and it's (laughs) like... That's cool, and yeah. I still will throw that in there. Of course. But instead, now there there's never going to be anything that's detail that loses the overall feeling of the record. So everything that I choreographed in the last um, three years, I I eliminated stops. Stop. Yes, for my question. How do you know I was going to say that? Because uh, you mentioned it in the Pink Panthers there you go. one before. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So... It's like a clear thing in my head. Yeah. Like I just decided one day I was like, hmm, I'm never going to stop again. Yeah. <laughs> and then that just became like principle yeah. to the way that I approach choreography. And the reason why is because I feel that the choreography looks more expressive mm. and, and in line with what a freestyle feels like, mm. yet it's premeditated and serves the purpose of what you would need choreography for any commercial use. Yeah, I, I think that it's so interesting to hear this background and understanding about impressionist paintings because yeah. I do think about how you know people often compare choreography to um, speech writing, mm. and then freestyle can be like conversation. Exactly. But in this case, it almost seems like when we're talking, there's hyper realistic paintings. One, you're like that's. That's an eye. There's nothing to... That's tight, you know? But I I think what it is now is there are outlines around a lot of paintings. There are things that really... There are containers for each of these these elements to a frame. Yeah. And that's great because it's clear. I know what that is. Exactly. It it has an outline. And I do think it's really interesting to approach it as brushstrokes without those outlines. Because then you allow the audience to close gaps. And it allows you to not feel like, I need to be telling them the clearest story. You mentioned these lyrics in, in... in these records are they're you know they're already saying that thing yeah so you're now exploring how to expand beyond those lyrics i think that's really cool yeah i'm just smiling while you're saying all that because i'm like yes 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 <laughs> yes yes that's exactly it no because it's like i've choreographed so much yeah. right so it's just like how do i make this feel real hmm. like it's saying something that could be up for interpretation 
and not just so like rigid. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Delivering a feeling more than a direct message. Well, because also it's like your audience too. It's like, as time goes on, it's like, originally I'm just making art that I'm like, this is my art piece. This Mm. is what I want to say to the world. But now I make art because I want to connect with people. I want them to maybe question something Mm. or consider something. Or maybe I just don't want them to have a specific feeling. I just want them to be drawn in Mm. by what I'm creating. So when you're sketching like that, it just, like you said, it leaves that room for people to interpret. Yeah. And like, what if you don't speak English? Or what if you don't, maybe you're missing like 80% of why my choreography is really cool. Yeah. But maybe if you like really just like the look and feel of something, maybe on the 30th watch, you're like, wait, he did this with the words? Mm -hmm. That's crazy. The same way you would, you might be listening to a song and you're like, oh my God, they're actually saying this. Mm. That's crazy. You know? And um, sometimes I'm to the point where I actually won't even know anymore sometimes what the lyrics are or anything Mm. because I'm locked into what does it feel like? Yeah. What does the song feel like? And I don't have to be so married to like, how do I personally relate to this? And how do I, you know? um, But I also do still do stuff that is, I think, different from the community in the sense where like, uh, Magnette was just talking to me about this the other day, Magnette Crump, about how he just gives props to like me and Brian and our generation of finding unique music Mm. that isn't mainstream and basically kind of serving like a dance community DJ and setting trends of like, yo, this random underground artist is super cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the dance world starts dancing to it. Yeah. You know? I I love that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's where you nerd out as a dancer. Yeah. I've had such a hard time dancing to a lot of top, 50 top 40 i don't know what they're even called top something music top yeah the top music <laughs> the famous music at the time because i something just like it rarely resonated with me 100 and it was always really fun to hop onto a song really really early i used to use hype m hype machine okay and it's like a music aggregate site yeah. and that was so cool because it's like music bloggers yeah i'm like i've never even been on a music blog in my life yeah so the fact that i'm going on this website and it's just all these music bloggers is aggregating like whenever they're posting a song and so i would discover things so i remember i like discovered this this song that i was like oh it's so beautiful yeah it was a really long time ago it's called ocean eyes yeah by billy eilish yeah and that was crazy yeah and i remember and you're just seeing the whole i I that thing had like a hundred likes on it. Crazy. And I remember like I like messaged her. She was like probably like eleven or twelve, and I was like, I love this song. She's like, Thank you so. I, the Facebook messages are still there. Yeah. And it's just like that discovery process is so exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's that's what's responsible for basically the real like commercial upstart to my career. Mm-hmm. I basically was just invested enough. into independent artists that I had a knack for catching early on Mm. that probably felt like, wow, I'm not even getting support by labels or Mm -hmm. whatever. By the time this person's making an entire piece of art, Mm. I'm basically making a free music video. Yeah. That's exactly how how it works, and it's like it's okay to to send things to artists. Totally, that, like I think so many people, especially in this age, I, I get it. I get why because social media is different. Yeah, but I remember like early on, if you just send it to the artist directly, it works a lot yeah. of times. These are people that that are if they're independent artists, they don't have the biggest following. It you you might be the first person to ever choreograph to one of their videos. That's totally. one of their songs. Yeah, totally. It's pretty. It's pretty incredible. And you just never know how. Like, you just never know, even if you don't get a reaction, what might come of that. That's so true. Like, for example, like, I don't care. I don't care how far I am in my career, whatever. I just, like, I choreographed to a Chris Brown song, put that up. I sent it to him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because I know I know their whole crew. He's already laced up. It's not like I'm trying to be his choreographer or nothing yeah. like that. But the reason why I sent it to him is because um, a student and f- incredible dancer, uh, and choreographer Shaq, Shaq Reed, he 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 was uh, on tour with Chris for a little while. And off the cuff, he tells me one day, 
Um, oh yeah, bro. Chris will like just randomly mention you as like a dance reference in wow. rehearsal. Yeah. He'll be like, oh yeah, Chris will be like, oh yeah, this is some Ian shit. Da, da, da. I'm like, just what? just because you don't get a response <laughs> doesn't mean you haven't made an impression on them. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And then it's just like at a certain point where someone just appreciates dance like that, it's like he literally just might think like, oh, cool. That piece yeah. was dope. And that's just cool for dance. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like period to get like more dance circulating and get people understanding that these things are happening and they mm-hmm. can link with dancers and all of that stuff. Like I would say that for me, at least, I know it's really different for a lot of other dancers, but I would probably say 80% of the music videos I've been involved in were quite literally music videos that were not going to be made mm-hmm. um, or were going to be made in a completely different way until I stepped into the picture. Like the Chance the Rapper, like Sunday Candy. Like Sunday Candy, yeah. um, like a few videos I did for Vic Mensa. like um, the Tori Kelly video. Yeah. That came out of her seeing literally... Uh, uh, pulse on tour mm. class. Whoa, pulse on tour class. <laughs> Literally, random clip that somebody that? somebody like randomly like um tweeted back when people were putting uh, video on Twitter. Mm. Someone tweeted a video of the class, and I hadn't put the piece out yet. And she saw, I was like, "Let's make a music video to that." Dang. Boom, like exactly how a bunch of that stuff happened. So it was like, yeah, yeah. Well, what about from the other realm of instead of you facing musical artists and reaching out to them. What about you making music? Yeah. DJ icon. Yeah. (laughs) So there are plans. There are plans? There are plans. Who is DJ icon? Wow. DJ icon. (laughs) Who was he then? Who is he now? Yeah. (laughs) Who is he then? (laughs) Leslie said, I'd love to know. Original version DJ icon was an 11 year old kid that just got the internet and didn't know that usernames would be permanent on YouTube <laughs> or that YouTube would be around. Yeah. At all. That's true. So basically, I got my parents, we were the last people I knew to get the internet yeah. that I knew. And my parents basically, uh, once we got the internet, it was off to the races for me. All in one day, it was like made my AIM account, made mm-hmm. my MySpace account, made my YouTube account. Wow, you're catching because all your friends already had it, right? Yeah, so yeah. you've been around it, but you never like, had today's it. Today's the day we have the internet. <laughs> like, and today we have the internet. Wow. Like, it was like night and day. I yeah. Was, it, yeah. That's why. That went to 24 7 on the internet. So basically, I made all my screen names at once mm-hmm. and. Um, <laughs> The way that the nickname came along okay. originally, because, um, you know, it's kind of a thing. It's not like spoken on all the time, but it's like you would prefer that your nickname be given to you. 100%. You know, rather than like you come up with your own nickname. Yeah. yeah. Uh, traditionally. And I needed a dance name, basically. And um, so my very first ever girlfriend when I'm 10 years old, my little dance studio girlfriend. Love it. <laughs> um. I'm going to, I'm hanging out with her and her family. It's a whole fun family affair. Yeah. And we're all chilling and her brother comes in and I remember I just thought her brother was so cool. Like I just thought it was so cool. It's like little Mexican family from, uh, one town over Maywood park or something like that. And, uh, and brother comes in, he's a big hip hop head. And keep in mind, I mean, I'm 10, so it's early enough on where like still a lot of that old school hip hop stuff is just very much in place. Like it's yeah. like CDs and like, it's not, it's not old, but it's like, it was, it was like very analog mm-hmm. still. And he was a DJ. And so he'd come in with his like equipment mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I'm like, and he's got the fashion yeah. and he like tags and stuff. I'm like, this guy is cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this guy is super cool. And, um, and so he comes by me and I'm obviously nervous and I'm just like, like I'm Ian, like I'm super shy. And he's like, Ian, he's like, nah, bro, I'm gonna call you icon. Done. Just like that. Wow. My first year of dancing. Wow. Yeah, he was just like, nah, I'm gonna call you icon. Off the like just gut feeling. Yeah. 
So that was my little dance nickname. And that's when I went into like, cause it was still also prominent of like, if you enter a battle, you gotta have a dance name. Yeah. So you went in as icon. That was my first. And so then all my original YouTube videos, if you go to my first videos on my page, which it's my original page still, DJ Icon, it'll say Ian Eastwood, AKA Icon on all my videos because it was still at a time where certain dancers only knew me as Icon. Wow. Because it was pre-internet, so it was like you had to have a memorable name. Yeah. It's like, oh, that Icon kid. Wow. <laughs> you really you really used that. Literally, bro. And then it was your email. And then it was my email With your and birthday. screen name and everything with my birthday. <laughs> DJ Icon 416. <laughs> 416. Yeah, yeah, bro. Happy early birthday. Still early in birthday. there. Yeah. Yeah. And then also at the time, um, Nappy Tabs, they would do these like crazy mixes yeah. um, at Monsters. And, and Napoleon would sell the burned CDs. They would take like... Napoleon was doing crazy mashups. Oh. He was doing like like traditional like DJ mashups of like oddly juxtaposed records Mm-mm. and then would have them like really condensed for where they'd have the routines. Mm-hmm. And it would be all these like custom like click, 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 like kind of like early version of what ABDC was. Oh. But not as like commercial. ABDC master mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Vibes. Iconic. Oh, bro. <laughs> so he was doing that, and then he taught me how to mix a little oh. bit on Son- uh, Sony Soundforge, or was it Sony Soundforge? Or anyway, it was Soundforge was an early Windows mixing program, mm. and I actually didn't know how to mix. So I was making my own mixes, but I didn't understand anything about like BPMs and sure, like sure. grids and anything. So I was just off the like ear yeah. mixing stuff and I was downloading things acapella from LimeWire. And so I was getting like kind of in there, yeah. but I just didn't have the learning curve to keep up. Uh, so I stopped everything with music and then fast forward, I guess all the way until, I mean, when I started hanging out with the Chance people, mm. the Chance crew, and all the producers and everybody, um, I started realizing that they were like enjoying, they'd have me come to studio sessions Mm. and were enjoying my feedback of what I felt was like cool about a record or what I thought could be in the record Mm -hmm. or whatever. And I was like, oh, they're actually like, interested in what i have to say yeah and then peter cottontail chance's main like producer on everything he's really the one that started getting me into the uh headspace of bro when you choreograph it's like you're writing you're writing a 16 Mm-mm. like you're writing a visual version of the music yeah because he really started he did the score on my mixtape mm-hmm. so him and nate fox really started detailed watching my work and there was even certain pieces where they would reproduce records around my choreography, what? which was really interesting. That's awesome. So they'd take things that were in the record and then amplify them or drop other things out because they made a lot of the records. So like there's version of Sunday Candy on my mixtape that don't exist anywhere mm. because Peter has all the stems and has the record. That's cool. Yeah, it's super cool. So then I started getting more like comfortable being in the mix of being in the studio, understanding production, all those things. Mm. Um, and then basically I became friends with Lido. Mm. And I was a fan of him first and then met him through all the chance people. Mm. And then Lido was getting really famous for his SoundCloud remixes. And then I danced to one of his SoundCloud remixes, posted that. Lido's a huge nerd. So he's like, what's going on? You're a person I want to meet. And so then we became friends and started linking up. And then randomly one time I had this idea to do this set. And I wanted this like Lido style remix for the end of it. Um, Young Lions was doing Urban Paradise. Mm. And we did a Marvin Gaye record. And I was like, how cool would it be? if um we did a flip at the end so me and Lido got together and we flipped the record together that's so cool and it was like i was realizing in that moment i was like oh wait like 
even though I'm not physically putting my hand on the laptop, like I'm co-producing this with you. Like I'm saying, put the kick mm. here, put the snare here, have that reverb. Let's put a sound effect in here. And Lito was just eating it up because Lito is such a creative. He works with so many people all the time. He was just probably interested in what my take on it was. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? On why I thought something should be there. Mm -hmm. And I never had anybody indulge me that was musical that much. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Peter Contel would, but also I'm like, respect. I mean, they're in a, like, a chance of rapper session or I'm like, I'm going to shut yeah. the fuck up <laughs> and just like hang out here and just think this is super cool, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, and be like afraid for two hours. Like, I think a, sh a snare should go here. Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> I know that feeling. Maybe, maybe. It. <laughs> I, I really like uh, One Round Good. One Round Good. Wow. That was a deep, Deep dig. It's a, it's a good song. It's, I made it with pause right there. Yeah, pause Eddie. It's yeah. a. I I really enjoy how like disjointed yeah. the beats get, and I'm yeah. like, ooh, this is what I would dance to in the early days. What I noticed getting around a lot more producers is how producers are unwilling to let go of certain things that dancers don't care about at all. Ooh, yeah. Like what? Like, like producers want everything to be like nice sure you know what i'm saying and tied up in a well i mean that's that's professional what they, that's executed what sounding bow <laughs> yeah you know what i'm saying yeah and me as a dancer i'm like bro dancers like <laughs> yeah <laughs> people are like oh, yeah you don't need oh. much <laughs> and so it's like what i've explored with Lido because we're working on a project together mm -hmm. now that's made for dancers is when we play it, we've realized that dancers really like things that are driving at one overall pocket. Mm. That's like an umbrella pocket yeah. that you can subdivide at your leisure mm -hmm. as a dancer. Agreed. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's like, Originally, we're approaching it like detail, 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 detail. Well, that's cool for a routine. Yes. But if you're trying to get dancers to go to a place where they can basically start to dance and execute from a flow state, um, then I think you've really made something special because then it's you're like empowering the dancer. It's it's like, can can a dancer be like at a bar drinking something and their body's moving? They're like, Oh, it's when your body notices it first yes. and your mind notices it second. It's like, you know, yes. you've done something right with that. 100%. Because yeah. sometimes it's like you might be at something and like a record could be so good mm -hmm. that you as a dancer, you're, like you might be in a conversation with someone. You're like, I have to dance to this right now. Yep. Like, I really want to go dance right now, but I'm in this conversation. Mm -hmm. I really, you want that feeling, yeah. you know, that irresistibility of like, of I need to dance. And so that's been the most interesting thing of like <clears throat> exploring within music is what is that feeling, you know? And it's been so cool to collaborate with Lido, who's such a like technician mm -hmm. and crazy skilled to have us work together and be like, actually this whole record that we made is no good. This random simple thing that we made in 15 minutes like makes people dance for hours at a time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And like finding out what that knack is or what that feeling is and exploring it has been just like such a unique experience. And I'm super lucky that I have someone like Lido that's basically like kind of mentoring me through what it is to pursue music. Yeah. Because I'm not invested in the same way as like I'm an artist. Sure. I'm an, a music artist. Our plan right now is that basically me and Lido plan to kind of pursue almost like, I guess you could call it a music collective. Mm. Uh, and we're calling it practice music. And it's basically like me and Lido now have been making the music together for like five years. Me and Lido have probably made 15, 20 songs, maybe more <laughs> Whoa. between remixes um, the lead, like, uh, one of the singers from, um, the band that I work with pretty much, um, who also was my editor. Yeah. We've written like 
four, five, six records for him and had him cut vocals on them and everything. Like there's wow. a library this of a Ian deep, and Lido songs. Yeah, it's a deep relationship. And, and never put one thing out. <laughs> never put one thing out. And the reason why I think is because even for Lido, it's like, it's his career and profession, yeah. right? To do this. So he's putting out music all the time. I feel like when we get to create, because I'm a dancer and it's such an odd way for him to create, I feel like it's playtime for yeah. him. So that's kind of what practice music is, literally practicing music. And then for the dancers, it's music to practice to. Love that. You know, so it's driving in at a point mm. of reshifting the way that we're so used to listening to music from a single perspective, individual MP3s. Sure. You know, and that idea is more about using music as utility to connect mm. with yourself. Mm. And so it's exactly what I was saying about flow state. I'm even doing the same thing within my choreography when I was talking about earlier of like broad strokes. Yeah, It's how can I choreograph from a flow state so that it just feels authentic? It's yeah. the same thing with the music. How can we get the listener to execute or move from a flow state as opposed to getting overwhelmed with this 30 seconds right here? Or whatever, yeah. What a journey. <laughs> All right, y'all. So that'll be the end of the part one for this episode. Tune in again in the coming weeks for part two with Ian Eastwood. Thanks again for tuning in again. This podcast was brought to you by us, Steezy Studio. Be sure to get your dance on today, too. So if you want to get some exercise in, take a Steezy sweat class. If you want to just vibe out and feel good, you definitely need to check out a good groove along. Or if you're up for the challenge, it's time to finally start one of those advanced classes you've been eyeballing. We'll see you in class. This podcast was produced by Josh Jang and edited by Gene Kim. The theme song is Tempo by Neiman.